All right, we'll get into our featured portion of the presentation today. So at this time, I would like to introduce a familiar face over here, Mr. Jay Litton. Morning, everyone. Good group this morning. Um, I'd like to introduce our speaker for today, John Albers. Uh, John Albers' wife is Carrie. They live here in Roswell. He's a father of two boys, Will and Ryan. Both Eagle Scouts, I might add. And he's also a fourth generation, think about this, a fourth generation firefighter. But that's not enough for John. If you know anything about John, nothing's enough. <laughs> so his son Ryan is now working on his firefighting skills to continue the, the journey with their family to the fifth generation. So pretty remarkable. He graduated from the University of Louisville, probably the only person in this room that did that, but that's a great school up there. <laughs> He's also the managing partner of an IT firm called Century IT. But let's face it, John's best known for being our state senator for the last 88 years. <laughs> no, actually, it, let me think. It's actually 12 years, but uh, it has been a long time. Matter of fact, John worked so hard to be our state senator that I remember being out on Canton Street during a live after five festival that takes place once a month. Back in 2008, 2009, and John was passing around these stickers, said John Albers for state senate on it. And at that time, city council, we were trying to elect three city council people out of the six. And so there was like all these city council stickers everywhere. And I was plastered with three of them of candidates that I was most interested in. John says, here, you need to wear one of my John Albers for senate stickers. I go, John, your election is not till next year. Everybody's going to be confused, but that just shows you the kind of hard work that John does. You can't outwork John. Also, Ronald Reagan, I heard once said that a job is the greatest social program ever. And I'm pleased to say that when I first started getting involved in job networking, a few years later, I came up with this program called Industry Guides, and that's 20 years ago. And John was my, one of my first volunteers. And what that means is that he's agreed to take a phone call after every meeting, if selected by one of our job seekers, to participate in a 15 to 30 minute phone call. If you talk to John, he's got an Excel spreadsheet of everybody he's spoken to, and he follows up with them, and he helps them get jobs. Now, I've heard that what people do when nobody's looking is a little bit of reflection of their character. I'm here to say that John's got a lot of character if that statement's true. As state senator, I've also pointed John to people in need that needed help with some government work or um, some state agency activity, whether they be neighbors or other people I've come through the job networking on, and John has delivered every single time and you would never hear about it. Um, the Heritage Foundation, as a matter of fact, just most recently, we'll hear a little bit about this when he speaks a little bit, but there's an important bill that he passed this past year. And the Heritage Foundation picked this bill that John wrote as a model that should be followed nationwide by all the states in the United States. I got to talk to his friend, Josh Gibson recently, and he said, as a state Senator, John is on the front lines for the soul of Georgia. He's a servant leader. He cares for his family and he cares for the state. I'd also like to say 
and add that John's a strong Christian and he cares about our UMC and he cares about each one of you. John has an amazing faith story to share today that will take my picture perfect picture of John's life and turn it upside down. Let's welcome John to the RMC Mess Breakfast. Thank you, Jay. It's, it's going to be hard to follow. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, they say in politics, you age in dog years. So I'm 144 now. <laughs> I don't feel a day over 136, though, thankfully. Uh, in mentioning Malone earlier, I would be remiss if I didn't say a few words. Malone was a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, and, you know, the, the things that have happened in this community over the last half of a century, there's not one good thing that does not have his fingerprints somewhere on it in this community. Uh, and uh, I tell you, if Malone didn't make it to heaven, none of us stand a chance. So. <laughs> um, I, I love our UMC. Just a quick background. Uh, we uh, became members of the church in 2004 after making the big move from Hickory Flat, our UMC. We moved from Woodstock to Roswell. And uh, I was baptized and uh, confirmed and have been uh, uh, in the Methodist church all my life. My sister, Karen, just uh, recently retired as a Methodist minister up in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Um, proud of her and all the things that she did. And uh, I've uh, been honored to, uh, to have the opportunity to serve in many different ways. Uh, over at the Scout Hut right there, I uh, um, was the den leader and committee chairman and everything else that uh, I got sucked into over time and um, served on the board of stewards. And uh, I do have to tell you this quick story to start out. Mike Long and I were very close and we would meet pretty regularly. And uh, one day he was calling my cell phone and I picked up my cell phone and I saw his number and I thought he's going to talk me into doing something else. So I literally sent him to voicemail, right? I mean, that's not terrible. I sent my pastor to voicemail. Well, a few minutes later, the home phone rings, right? And my, uh, my oldest son, Will answers the phone. He goes, Oh, Dr. Long, how are you doing? Oh yeah. Dad's right here. <laughs> Handed me the phone. He said, are you screening my calls? I said, I, yes, I did. I'm sorry. So that's how I got in, the, in his steps committee for the next several years. So. <laughs> uh, I want to talk today, though, uh, nothing about uh, government or politics. If you came for that, I'm sorry if I disappointed you. Uh, but this is uh, uh, a story of the last couple of years uh, of my life and my faith journey. And it all starts right here with this picture in 2020. Uh, all seemed right in my life. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Chad, my neighbor, is here today. Uh, it was August of 2020, and when COVID was going on, you know, we didn't get out a lot, but in our little cul-de-sac in our neighborhood, we had a lot of little gatherings. Sometimes we'd even pull a grill out and, and, and cook and just have some fun times. I, I treasured those times, and I remember feeling, boy, I was really content. In fact, I went so far probably even to brag, and you know what happens when, that, when you do those things. Because at that point, you know, my wife, Carrie, and I, we had been married for 27 and a half years, and we just thought we had really done a great job. You know, our son, Will, uh, who is the one on the far right, poor kid looks just like me, uh, had graduated from college. Um, he had been dating a wonderful girl for four years, and they were engaged to be married. Uh, he was working for the GBI, that's the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Uh, our younger son, Ryan uh, was uh, getting ready to start college, but he was already almost a junior because he had dual enrolled and he was my easy kid. 
And we thought, wow, we're the next level of life. We're going to be empty nesters. We're going to travel more. I thought, man, I got this life thing all figured out. Uh, my job was fantastic. I loved what I did. I worked with a great group of people. And even though COVID uh, was still at its height, and candidly, some days I was literally falling asleep at my desk working 20-some out, out hours, I felt very fulfilled that I was doing all the things in the world that, that I needed to do. And then just about a week and a half later, everything in my life went upside down. Our son, Will, uh, when he was six years old, they said he had a high creatine level, right? Which meant that they wanted him to take a, a pill once a day to make sure his kidneys flushed. But they didn't really think it was concerned. It was very mild and treatable. Well, all of a sudden, uh, Will, who have you seen in that picture, is a toothpick, lost 20 pounds. Then he started to uh, feel tired all the time. And he owned a home over in Ackworth. And he called me up. He said, Dad, I had to stop and pull over and take a nap from my house to yours, which is only about a 25-minute drive. But he was uh, a young man in his 20s and uh, 24 at the time. And I said, Will, you got to go to the doctor. But he was invincible at that age. Then he started getting sick to his stomach. Then he started vomiting blood. And that took us to the doctor to the emergency room, to the ICU at Cherokee Northside Hospital. Would you flip the next slide for me there, Gene? Or, or, okay. So this is the worst thing that anybody wants to hear. First off, I'm gonna tell you right now, I broke every single rule during COVID. You're not supposed to go into a hospital, and I did. Um, I happened to know somebody at the hospital and being a firefighter and EMT and paramedic, somebody gave me a set of scrubs and brought me in the side door and I was in ICU holding my son's hand when the doctor kind of gave me one of these nudges. We walked out to the hallway, and he said, John, everything's shutting down, and we don't know why, and we don't think he's going to make it tonight. Even now, it's hard for me to say those words. Being a firefighter and EMT paramedic for 30 years, I knew exactly what he was telling me. Prepare yourself. He's not going to live through the night. In fact, it was so bad, I didn't even tell my wife because I knew she couldn't get in and she couldn't do anything. No parent should see their child with that many tubes coming out of them. But thank God, he made it through the night. And they realized early that morning that both his kidneys were completely shut down and gone. And they had to put my 24-year-old on dialysis, literally an emergency procedure right into a vessel into his heart. But thank God, he was alive. We spent the next eight days in ICU and many more days at the hospital, but he got to come home. <clears throat> but even in all of that, we looked forward to positive things. He was getting married just a couple of months later in October. A lot of things in our world were still moving forward. And my wife and I, we go into fix-it mode, right? That's just our personalities. You do the next slide. When it rains, it pours. <clears throat> so my uncle, uh, I only have one, called up and he has stage three lung cancer, has a 25% chance to live. My dad, um, who is relatively healthy, had to go in for two major full knee replacement surgeries. And while that is typically not a problem, every time my dad goes to the hospital, he gets a staph infection, which we we're all very concerned about. The transplant process, which we were trying to be a part of, was a long, laborious process that would just make you want to pull every hair in your head out. 
And then in March of that year, a rather nasty group based out of Washington, D.C., sent a series of tweets out about me that were not true and copied my employer uh, and all of my employer's top clients. And while originally they said, oh, John, you're fine. This is a crazy group. 24 hours later, they were giving me a severance package and I lost my job. My most favorite job I've ever had in my life. And then in April, my son's new wife, who they got married six months earlier, walked out on him and in divorce papers and left him. It was a very, very difficult time. On top of that, as Carrie and I were going through this process to become a match to potentially donate a kidney to Will, I'm a blood type match, which means I have the best chance of actually being the person. She doesn't have the same blood type, but she could do something called a pair match, which means she would give to one person and their person would give to Will. So this is days and days and days of testing. She comes home, walks in the door, and I can see the pale look on her face. And I said, Carrie, what's wrong? So while they're doing my test, they think there's something majorly wrong with me. And they've got me set up for an emergency appointment tomorrow morning uh, up in North Fulton Hospital with a nephrologist for my kidneys. You know the old adage, God never gives you more than you can handle? I call BS. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was out, right? I mean, I literally just felt like the entire world was on my shoulders. I walked upstairs at our house to my bedroom. I did not get down. I literally fell on my knees. I just fell down. I just, I, I, I'm the guy in the world that helps everybody else. That's my call. God, God put me on this earth to help other people in their time of need. Uh, but everything had changed. So at that point, fell on my knees and I just said these words out of nowhere, which was, you would mind? I said, I surrender. I literally said those words about five times over and over. I said, Lord, um, I need your help. I have never in my life, by the way, up to that moment, prayed for myself. Never. I prayed every single day of my adult life for everybody around me and everything around me that I thought really needed help. I thought I was the easy one. I said, Lord, this is my prayer and my petition. Please heal my wife, heal my son, heal my uncle, my father. Give me the strength in all of this to carry on. <clears throat> it, was a, it was a moment in life that I tell you, I was as broken as I ever could have been. And at the same point, I also said, Lord, forgive everybody in this process who I think did wrong. And please forgive me for all that I did wrong. Because I was harboring a lot of that. And so, you flip the next slide. That's where the miracles began. Because the very next morning, Carrie went to the doctor to come home and say, actually, everything's fine. It was a misreading on a test. The next day, the doctor from Memory Hospital called me up and I got the greatest phone call of my life. I said, John, you're not just a match to give a little kidney. You are a perfect match. <laughs> the next day, the young woman who had married my son, who was just going to walk away, then decided she was going to try and come back and go for a money grab. Yeah, that we needed that. Just settled and walked away from everything. And that was done.
The next day, my uncle called me up and sent me a picture of ringing the bell being cancer free. My dad cleared from both of his surgeries, home, no infection. He's perfectly fine the next day. The day after that, I got offered three different jobs. <laughs> and then the last day, the surgery that was supposed to be two and a half months out got moved back to two and a half weeks out. All of that happened after I said, I surrender. So you're probably asking yourself the same question, John, you dummy, why didn't you do that six months ago? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, I realize now um, that that's the journey that God wanted me to be on. Uh, so along the way, God sent angels, and boy, do I mean angels. Some of them uh, are very much in my neighborhood, in my church, in our friend group, and people that I've worked with. You know, there's an old adage, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only see them looking backwards. We didn't even share our story to anybody publicly, intentionally, because we thought it was a private family matter until right about July 1st. And in July 1st, Will, who at this time had been divorced, we had sold his house. He was living in our basement because he needed 24-hour care because he was performing home dialysis at that time, five times a day. Walked up to my office where I was working, and he said, Dad, we should share our story. Now, Will's a pretty private person, especially given poor kid growing up around me. And I said, really? Why, why would you, why we want to do this? He said, Dad, if one person who was sick like me didn't wait and got tested, or one person went out and became an organ donor like you're going to do, wouldn't that all be worth it? Now, mind you, I was canceled over social media just a few months earlier, and I wasn't a big fan anymore. So I really thought about it, but I thought his bravery of the 24-year-old whose whole life had been turned upside down, thought it was a good idea. I posted a picture on LinkedIn and uh, you'll see it was that and another and talked about what we were going through. 13 and a half million people all over the world viewed that post. We got over 400,000 direct messages and comments from people on the wall in Jerusalem who were praying for us, people in St. Peter's Basilica who are praying for us, Buddhist temples in India, um, dawahs in a mosque in the United Arab Emirates, cathedrals in Brazil, all over the world, literally everywhere that we could find, every continent but Antarctica. It was the most humbling and overwhelming experience I've ever seen in my life. We had people in Oklahoma offering to drive up and cut the grass and do anything they could to help us. Uh, our neighbors brought us food, set up all sorts of cards and information. It, it was just, it was unbelievable. Perfect strangers, members of our Rotary Club, business colleagues, church, you name it. It was, it was the most overwhelming and humbling outpouring of goodness that I could ever see personally in my life. And I felt like after a few months, I had seen the worst and the best in humanity. So in this slide that you see right here was us literally walking into the hospital on July the 21st of last year, not too long ago at 5 a.m. So if you've ever, well, I'm sure most people in this room know this verse, 
but Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I repeated this about 450 times that morning. And uh, we went back and we were in two separate rooms um, before we went back for surgery. Um, wonderful um, woman came back, uh, their ch chaplain who prayed for us. Uh, the Sunday before uh, we were here and Tom prayed for us down at the altar. And I will tell you, I have never had a major surgery in my life. I wasn't nervous at all. I literally felt the Holy Spirit on me. I could feel those millions of prayers that were literally around me. It was an awesome, awesome feeling. So we go back for surgery and the power goes out. I'm not kidding you. The power went out at Emory Hospital for like two and a half hours. Now they have a generator, but they won't start a surgery on generators. Nobody can go into the hospital. So my poor wife is sitting there trying to text <laughs> literally a thousand people of, hey, how's John doing? Well, the power went out, right? How's Will doing? Well, Will can't go in until John started. So it was, uh, it was quite the day, but amazingly so. It was supposed to be out in a couple hours and I was out about seven and a half hours later. Apparently my kidney, as I called lefty, was a little stubborn, <laughs> but he did just fine. And if you click the next slide for me, Kevin. That was three days later. We were both home. Three days later, after giving and then receiving an organ, um, we both got home, which was amazing. Now we were walking pretty slow, uh, but we got along and we did it. And uh, a lot of my neighbors saw me as they wanted to get out and walk, um, stumbling rather awkwardly up and down to the stop sign in our street. My favorite part of that day, though, um, and I'm glad Chad was here, uh, his younger son, Ellis, is this cutest little kid at the time. I think he was maybe three, almost four. He came down and uh, knocked on the door. And he likes to ring the doorbell sometimes. And he asked me if I want to come out and play with him. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I do. Uh, and he said, hey, Mr. Albers, I'm glad your kid got a knee. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was great levity. Um, we still we still talk about that all the time. He's a great young man. Uh, but we're both home, and we're both good. Okay, when you hit the next slide, please. So a month later, um, we went out to dinner because it was the point where you're, you're past surgery, where you can't lift things, but you're starting to feel a little more like yourself and feeling good. But the picture of him feeling so good, before this happened, his skin was pale. I mean, he was down to nothing. He's 25 pounds heavier than he was just a few months earlier that because his body was doing all the things body should do. And just before that dinner, the last thing that was literally inside his body which was the tube that went into his stomach for dialysis was taken out just the day before that. So, and it was the first time after that, that he could do things like take a shower for the first time in over a year. It was a remarkable day. It was joyous. And I think you can see it in our eyes and our smiles, just a wonderful place that we had both had come. You flip to the next slide, please. So three months later was Will's 26th birthday. And, uh, George in the back knows where we are. We're in Aruba, one of our favorite places to go. We've actually seen he and Mary there. Um, we went to celebrate his birthday and have a magnificent vacation um, and really just replay what had happened in that last year. You know, during this process, 
um, that started from August of 2020, even all the way to today, we didn't witness just a single miracle. We witnessed the next miracle, the next miracle, the next miracle, and it continues to happen. We hit the lowest part of our life that I think, God, I certainly hope it's the lowest part of my life ever again, I'll be honest with you. And, and just the most purest of joy and thanksgiving. And through that, you have to wonder, okay, God, why me? Why Will? Why our family? And I'm a big believer that there's purpose behind everything that happens in our life, the good and the bad. And uh, at a time that we were in Aruba, I took this really, really long walk on the beach as the sun went down. It's just beautiful. The breeze is flowing in and just having one of those moments trying to replay everything that happens in your life. And that's when you get that, um, you ever have God kind of come behind you and whack you behind the head? I had one of those moments and it was, uh, hey, John, this is your calling now. This is what you're supposed to do. And one more slide. Um, I should go one more after that. I went to, so this is what I'm doing. Uh, I authored what's called the Giving the Gift of Life Act, which uh, not just passed in Georgia, thank you to the governor for signing, but is now in seven other states. And I'm going to pass it in all 50 states and do a federal version, which is going to help people to become living donors like I am. God gave each one of us in this room two kidneys, and you only need one. He also gave you a liver that you can donate part of your liver, and it literally is the only organ in the body that regenerates. You can give stem cells. There's all sorts of things that we can do. There are 115,000 people on the waiting list as we sit here today, and we could wipe that out. My mission is to get it down to zero. That will be 115,000 lives saved, just not now, but forever into the future. And each one of us can play a role. Everybody here's got a driver's license. In the back of that driver's license, you will see an area of being an organ donor. It's a very simple thing to do. If you didn't do it when you got your driver's license, you can actually go online and do that now. You can also know the signs. Now, as guys, we tend to be a little more stubborn than, than the ladies. When you're sick, go to the doctor. If we had gotten Will to the doctor earlier, while he still would have probably needed a kidney transplant, he may not have been where he was. And here's an important part. The doctor told me the next morning, once they did emergency dialysis on my son, that if he had came in one day later, he would have without question died. One day later. So days and even hours will make a difference. And the last part is the prayer. There's no question that the prayer that came to us literally saved Will's life and made that surgery a success. Uh, and I know that this is a faithful group of people, but if you ever wonder sometimes when you're lifting up a prayer, if it's really making an impact, I'm here to tell you, it absolutely does. Being the recipient of those. This church has been so wonderful to me over the last 18 years. I can't thank you all enough. There's nothing that I could do. There's nothing you can do um, to repay that type of support and love and understanding. All we can do is continue to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ and support our fellow man to do that. So I'm going to leave you with a couple of things. I can't list the names of everybody. Help me because I would forget too many of them. Uh, and they are too broad. 
Remember I put that slide up of uh, God never gives you anything more than you can handle? Well, he knew I could handle it, even though I didn't. Everybody here, probably most everybody here drove here today. When you get back in your car, when you leave, probably the first thing you're going to do is you're going to get in your car, you probably buckle your seatbelt, and if you're like me, you're going to check your rearview mirror. There's a reason the rearview mirror is so small and the windshield is so big. Now, you need to check that rearview mirror to make sure everything's safe, but you need to look out of the windshield to see all the greatness that's ahead of us through our ward. Thanks for letting me share my story. Wow. <clears throat> that was such an intimate and personal story. And for you to be able to share that with us, that's just really such a privilege and, and so amazing. It's amazing. Two simple words. I surrender. And as you share what unfolded after that was just uh, unbelievable and certainly something. And, you know, I don't understand and comprehend and how all these things work, certainly for Will. And as you said, his courage and bravery to be able to share that and to be so public and certainly to be able to influence so many others. So genuinely thank you for that. You know, there's so much that we could speak to about that, certainly to rejoice from that, to be able to rejoice in our sufferings and suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us. But God, God poured out his love into our heart who he has given us. And for you to not just keep it a personal story and share it publicly, but to go act upon that. So that's certainly amazing in itself. God, God has certainly prepared good works, which he had prepared in advance for us to go do. So certainly just a wonderful story. Um, and thank you so much for that. So give them